Welcome to Women Worth Knowing, the new title for the podcast hosted by Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. Women Worth Knowing is not affiliated, associated, authorized, endorsed by, or in any way officially connected with the website Women You Should Know. This is Cheryl Broderson and... Jasmine Allnut. With another podcast of Women You Should Know. Mm-hmm. And uh, last week we did Amy Carmichael, and we're going to come back to her next week. We decided in our in our time together that we have to do more about Amy. Yes. Yes. But <laughs> the really neat thing is the person that Cheryl's going to share about today, I was looking up some information about her and learning a little bit more myself. And it was so neat. One of the, one of the uh, accounts about her life started with a poem from Amy Carmichael. So I just want to read this really quick. Please, it's a quickie because please. it ties in. Yes. And they said, you know, her life is a, is reminiscent of something Amy Carmichael wrote. Make us thy mountaineers. Yes. We would not linger on the lower slope. Fill us afresh with hope, O God of hope, that undefeated we may climb the hill as seeing him who is invisible. Let us die climbing. Okay. So in her story, <laughs> and I'm going to be talking about Evelyn Constance Harris Brand. That's, that is something in the book that you read, Granny Brand, mm. that that poem is going to come up more and more. Wow, I love it. And it's really interesting. And I'll tell you kind of as I go through, maybe I'll mention the moments where it comes up. But she's also known as Granny Brand, and she hated that title. She's just like, oh, don't call me Granny. Really? But oh. <laughs> but all the missionaries called her Granny because she lived to be 94. Yeah. And she ministered until she was 94. She's not as well known. I had never heard of her, but I had heard of her famous son, Dr. Mm. Paul Brand. Mm-hmm. You've probably heard of Paul Brand. Right. He wrote some books. He mm-hmm. wrote the book, Fearfully and Wonderfully May, which is kind of a Christian classic. Right. I mean, that is like an incredible book. It's so good. Everyone mm. should read that. The Gift of Pain, which mm. is great. He wrote all of these uh, books with Philip Yancey. The Who is gift, also well known. Right. And yeah. The Gift of Pain is one of the um, greatest books. Uh, he, he ended up being a doctor to lepers, and mm-hmm. he realized that uh, the lepers were losing their their appendages, their limbs, not because leprosy was eating away, but mm. because they didn't have feeling. And wow. because they didn't have feeling, they were accidentally like chopping it off and not knowing it oh, or oh losing it and not knowing it or getting infections and mm. not knowing. And he realized that pain is such a gift. So the gift of pain. Mm. Again, this is Paul Brand. This is the son um. of Granny. Uh, in his image, which is amazing about the blood, and it talks about how amazing our blood is. and the Wow. It, it's so good. And then in the likeness of God, and then he satisfies my soul, the gift nobody wants, which is his autobiography. And so he pioneered all sorts of advances against Hansen's or leprosy. Um, and also, he's the first person to do a tendon tendon replacement surgery really yes so he actually was able to give people back the use of their hands by implanting tendons and attaching them and he's the first doctor to do that wow and this is amazing because he was doing this in like the 1950s so amazing amazing but granny brand was his mother and she's quite a character yes and you said you (laughs) you picked that up when you were reading the articles yes (laughs) So, so she's born in 1879 so she's just a little bit younger than Amy, not that much younger. Yeah, yeah. And so she was the ninth of 11 children. She had eight sisters and two brothers. She was extremely beautiful and from mm-hmm. a very well-to-do family. Her father and mother just loved Jesus. I mean, they were devout 
Christians. Mm. But they also had a very wealthy home. Her father was a merchant and he had all these little collections and their home was just beautiful. And he and his wife loved, loved, loved their children like so much. He told his daughters, you don't ever have to get married. You can stay with me for the rest of your life. (laughs) And he would rather his daughters had not gotten married because he just loved having them all around him. It's like in uh, that movie, why do you want to leave me? Yes. That Greek wedding. (laughs) Yes. But um, her mother had a ministry. Her mother was so concerned about the poor always. And she made all her daughters join with her in this ministry to giving to the poor. Mm. And a ministry she started. Now, remember, this is like in the 1880s, 1890s to prostitutes in London. And we've seen the how scandalous that would have been for a well-to-do person. Exactly. Yeah. And yet they were giving clothes. They were washing. They were even going and removing the lice from Ooh. these women's head. Wow. So even as a, a young age... Evelyn was made aware of the plight of the poor and the Mm. impoverished and even the sinful. Mm. So she studied art and was extremely talented in painting and sketching. And she thought, this is what I want to do with my life. And she especially loved the works of John Turner, who was kind of at that point, the painter of light. And she Mm. loved to capture light on a canvas. But in her 20s, her art began to satisfy her less and less. Mm. Um, At the same time, her parents were always praying for missionaries. And they would get like the missives of missionaries and they would bring into the house and they would read them at dinner and then they would pray for that missionary. And missionaries would come to their church when they were on furlough and speak. And then her father, who is also quite a character, would always have them over for dinner. And have them share at his house because he wanted his children to have um, a heart for the mission field, too. Mm. So then she's still at her father's house. Five of her sisters have gotten married Mm. and now she's 30. And one of her sisters moved to Australia. So she goes to Australia on the boat with her sister. And it's as she's coming back that she begins to get this heart for India. And it was pretty much because of this one missionary. She had been reading about India a lot in some of the missionary letters. And there had been this um, very handsome man named Jesse Brand who had come and spoken at Mm. their church and even come to dinner at their house. But she was a little put off by him because he was super intense. Right. And he is six years younger than than she is. Oh, wow. So he's he's younger. She's 30. He's like 24. And he's super intense. He's talking about, yes, about the mountains of death. And he was supposed to be in medical school and he had been in medical school and he dropped out because the need was just too pressing. He just had to get back to India. And when he was at dinner at their house, he was looking straight at her the mm. whole time. And she felt really uncomfortable with that. After all, she was very society, very oh, yeah. uh, upper oh, yeah. class, very beautiful. In fact, uh, she was she modeled. She did a little bit of modeling on the side, very, very tasteful modeling. Oh, yes, of course. And some say she was the face of Britannia for Australia. Oh, wow. So, I mean, just definitely just very, very sophisticated, sophisticated, yep. right? He, wasn't clearly no no he was a firebrand he really was (laughs) ah and his last name was brand how about that so um the conditions of among these people that he ministered to in the mountains of death were just deplorable and he had studied medicine for a while and so at dinner that night he just talked about all these deplorable conditions like Mm. like looking at her for her reaction like can you handle this can you handle this and so she was kind of just put off by that until this voyage uh, from australia back to england all of a sudden she felt like "Uh uh-oh I think this is for me. So she talks to her father. Her father says, you know, no, 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 please don't. But he says, but if it's the Lord's will. And her mother's like, I'm so proud of you. Do it. Yes. Super supportive. That's actually kind of interesting. Sometimes you'd think the mom would be the one that would be like, oh, my baby. But no, this this mother was, because she was like a missionary at heart. She was the one who started this ministry to the prostitutes. 
you know, actually, I was thinking that as you're talking about her family, I think wow, how cool, how intentional her parents were right. in bringing her into ministry and serving others and not just we, we just live up here because right. we're upper class. That's right. I because love that we intentionality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Evelyn did have a love for beautiful things. Mm. Again, she's a painter. So she loves beautiful things. So when she's going to, so she applies to the mission board, they say yes. And so when she's going to her send-off party, mm. she's dressed in all her finery with a beautiful hat. And and someone said she looks more like a movie star than someone going yes, off to the mission field. I love that. I thought that was so funny. So she arrives in the Dross in 1912. And by this time, she's been thinking a lot about Jesse Brand, like mm. thinking a lot. And she finds out that he's engaged to another woman. I mean, he greets her. He's very wow. excited that she's there, but he finds out like, okay, that door's closed. Oh, and so she begins to study uh, Tamil, which was, how do you say that? Is it Tamil or Tamil? Well, Tamil? Tamil? I don't know. I don't know. But it was extremely difficult for mm-hmm. her. Just she really, really struggled. Jesse picked it up right away hmm. and he was flowing in it, but she really struggled. But at the same time as she's studying and she's ministering, learning to minister in Madras, which was easier than the mountains of death, Jesse begins to write to her. Mm-hmm. And he's come back to the mountains of death and he's sending letters to her and she's writing them back and he's telling her all about what the Lord, you know, what what he's feeling led to do and his vision for the area. And in one of these letters, he tells her that he broke off his, oh, his previous engagement. By the way. Yes. And then the letters <laughs> became a little more impassioned and yeah, he began to call yeah. her my darling, <laughs> longed for and then in one of the letters, he asks her if she'll marry him. And mm-hmm. she says yes. And they're mm-hmm. married in August of 1913. Wow. And he decides that they, you know, they're going to get married and go straight back to the mountains of death. He's going to take her wow. right back to the place he's already built there. And she had worn a white dress, a wedding dress. And she's wearing what that. she was thinking. No, no. Because she said it was like in, it was torn, muddied and oh. just in shreds by the time she finally got there. <laughs> Because, I mean, it was, you know, hundreds of miles uphill and right. it was these jagged roads and they had to go through rice paddies and they had to ford <laughs> wild rivers and there were thorn bushes and jungles and all of this. And part of the time she was carried, and I don't know how to say this, but I would pronounce it Dolly, D-H-O-L-I. Yeah, Dolly. Uh, yeah. Dolly. And that's one of these um, conveyances where there are two bamboo poles and kind of like a canvas between where the person lies on the canvas and there are men that are holding each end of the right. pole. Gosh, I'm trying to think there's other names for that in different cultures. Yes, it's there a are. Similar in kind fact, of I a... think we talked about that yeah, when I we did we one did. of the other missionaries. Yeah. But anyway, so this is one of the ways. And then the other way is by, by horse and then, of course, by walking. I think what we talked about, Isabel Kuhn, we talked about that. Yes. yes. In China. They were using those. Yep. So anyway, they get up to the hills And Evelyn realizes that she needs to wear, just like Amy, the attire of the Indian Mm -hmm, people. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, they're afraid of her, and she stands out, and they won't come to her. And it's not practical Mm -mm. (laughs) for a place to wear Western clothes. (laughs) Yes. So Jesse was a builder and a visionary. I mean, he just saw it. And so he wanted to teach the people agriculture so they could take care of themselves. They were dying. He wanted to uh, teach them hygiene. He set up these clinics, these medical clinics where they would treat the people. And so she, within months of getting there, she's able to lead this little boy who was like a shepherd boy. He was what they call a cowley. He was taking care of these animals. She was able to lead him to the Lord, Mm. but then he died. And that was their only convert for seven years, seven years, no convert. And during that time, there was this, this leader among the people, religious leader, and they called him a 
Pusari. Mm-hmm. And this Pusari started like undoing everything they do. Everything that they would do, like if they went and shared with people, he would go to the people and say, you know, the gods will will get you if you follow Swami Yesu. Wow. You know, you better not follow Swami Yesu or this will happen to you or that will happen to you. And the people are so, very superstitious. Well, kind of like, yeah, those that administer, we think of like Lily's Charter ministering to the Muslims. Yes. They, you know, the Muslim authorities would come in and try to, you know, counter everything, you know, that That's they were exactly. doing. And so in the meantime... Jesse and Evelyn keep ministering to the people. And one of the things they did, Mm -hmm. and I just wanted to say this because this will gross everybody out, is they dealt with something called the guinea worm. And the guinea worm would come in through their feet, (laughs) usually through their feet because they were barefooted in these rice patties and and these other places. And it would burrow in and it would lodge either in the hip. One woman had it in her cheek. Wow. And you'd feel like this crawling under the skin. And it might look like a varicose vein. Like oh. in a in a weird place. And then one day a boil would appear and the guinea worm would pop its head out. And okay. so, <laughs> listen, Evelyn, who comes from this very upper class, would get a piece of plaster and she would grab that guinea worm's head and she would slowly wrap it around and be like turning the piece of plaster, wrapping the guinea worm while she's pulling it out of a person. And they would be six to eight inches long. One woman that they ministered to had eight of them. Oh, my goodness. And so they're doing all of this, and they're doing so many good works. Was it painful to pull it out? I don't know. I didn't didn't say. But but they they wanted to eradicate guinea worm. And so Mm -hmm. they started, like, um, providing shoes for these people. Mm. Because if they would just wear shoes, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't get in the bottom of their feet. And they were were doing, and they were trying to eradicate, almost eradicate a guinea worm from the people. And at the same time, they're teaching them how to farm. How to build, because Jesse was also like this incredible builder, and treating them with quinine for malaria. Mm -hmm. So they were amazing. And the people even said to them, they said, we like you. We like all you do. We like all you've done for us and Mm -hmm. all that you've given us. But we don't want your God. Wow. We don't want your God. And part of that was the Pusari. So seven years, Mm -hmm. they continue to minister to these people, doing the same things, just working so hard. During that time, they have Paul. And they have their daughter, Connie, and she has mm-hmm. them in these primitive conditions. Wow. And, and she's raising babies in these primitive conditions. In fact, one of the things was is one day she got bitten by a snake that was like under one of the pieces of furniture. And they had to make sure that the snake was not poisonous. And so there were poisonous snakes and their snakes. <laughs> wow. Snakes are like my undoing. Yeah. And so there were snakes all over. And yet like she this. continued to minister. And then what happened in 1919, they were due for a furlough. And they really felt like they kind of needed it, but they decided to put it off for a year because World War One had just ended and they wanted things to kind of settle down. Yeah. And so they put it off for one year. And during this time, they heard that the Pusari, who had been so mean, so terrible, and I, I didn't even get into all the terrible things he did, like right, setting fire yep. and all sorts of things. So they hear that he's dying and none of the people will take care of him. So Jesse and Evelyn go to him and they begin to nurse him and try to seek his health. Wow. And he says, I want... I want Swami Yesu as my savior. I realize mm. I need Swami Yesu because you have shown me that he is real. And then he says wow. to them, I want you to raise my children. You know, his wife was dead. And he said, and I don't want my children being raised by these evil people with their evil gods. Wow. I want, so they take his daughter, the, the boys are a little afraid. So they take the daughter, they rename her Ruth and they raise her as their own. And isn't that just the power of forgiveness? I mean, I think we've seen that as well <laughs> as we've been talking just to be willing to do that and reach out to him. And what an amazing mm-hmm. fruit. And then the boys are kind of watching their sister from a distance. But mm. as they see how kind 
the brands are to the children. Mm. They also come and they they begin to listen to the Bible stories. And suddenly when the people realize that the Pusari, as his dying wish, gave his children, entrusted his children to the missionaries, they all of a sudden open up to the gospel as never before. Mm -hmm. So in the 1920s, the brands were raising four children beside their own, as well as establishing schools for Christian education, building church buildings. But, you know, during this time too, they would, someone would get saved and then they would backslide and Evelyn would go and visit whoever backslid personally and just rebuke them. She had this ministry of rebuke (laughs) and just putting you in your place. Tough (laughs) love. Yeah. So she was already getting kind of like this reputation. (laughs) So then she finds out that her father died in 1920, the very year that if they had taken the furlough, she would have seen him again, but he had died. And they're unable to take their furlough until 1923. And this is really hard for Evelyn because she knows on this furlough that she's going to have to leave her children there in England. And Mm. she says over and over again that the hardest thing, the hardest thing God ever required of her was to leave her children in England. And she was leaving them in really good care. Her mother was still alive and they, the children, Paul and Connie adored their grandmother. She Mm. was godly. She was bedridden, but she was really alert. And so they would go up and she would have them sit on her bed and she would tell them Bible stories. Mm. At the same time, Evelyn had two sisters who had never married and they couldn't wait to get their hands on these children and raise them. And Paul Brand in his testimony talked about how these aunts just indulged and loved him and his (laughs) sister because they did not want them to feel the absence of their mother and father. Mm. And they wanted them to know that God was rewarding them for giving their mother and father to Jesus. So neat. So perspective. In 1924, they return to India. They return to the the hills. And Evelyn's favorite word in Tamil, Tamil, Mm -hmm. was Stotterhom. So S-T-O-T-T-H-E-R-U-M, and it means praise the Lord. And she used this word frequently, whether the situation was good or whether the situation (laughs) was bad. It was like, okay, I'm going to praise the Lord. Mm. So Jesse is uh, building more there. Um, He's... He realizes that he can teach the women the silk trade, and that can help make them independent. And so he Smart. writes colorful letters to his children in England, which uh, they kept, the children kept. And those will, um, some of those letters are also available in um, Paul Brand's autobiography. So mm, the work is demanding. Listen to this. In one year, Jesse gave 4,000 sermons to over 25,000 people. And medical service, this is with Evelyn, to over 25,000, as well as training the people in building, agriculture, industry, and medicine. And I love that, the practical, the practical side of the ministry as well, like helping them as well as, as its door for the gospel. Right. So Malaria was the constant menace to mm. Evelyn and to Paul and also to the people. And so they would keep um, supplies of quinine. But remember, they're, yeah. they're so far, they're 100 miles from any, like, bazaar or any marketplace mm-hmm. and even further away from the medical supplies. And in 1929, Paul Brand did not have medicine because he'd given it to the people and he got a bad case of malaria. Wow. And he thought he would just get over it like usual, but he didn't. Right. He was 44 years old when he died and Evelyn was 50. So yeah. she was not ready to leave. Uh, so she young. was she was grieving yeah. so much. And yet she didn't feel like uh, she could leave the the people, because they were grieving also over mm-hmm. Jesse's death. Mm-hmm. So she wrote to England to see if there was any family member that could come and be with her. And her niece, Ruth Harris, came and stayed with her. And what's interesting about Ruth Harris is later she would become Dr. Ruth Harris and mm-hmm. a missionary to India. 
Oh, her so all of this is yeah. so interesting. So Evelyn continued the work of Jesse. So she's grieving, but when she started visiting the stations, holding clinics, inspecting the schools, holding prayer meetings, giving gospel talks, keeping accounts, paying the workers, supervising the girls' home, overseeing the carpentry industry, she lost all fear of um, of staying in, in India and just knew she that. was supposed to. Well, and didn't they have a vision? Her and her husband had a vision for, you know, like specifically reaching, where they wanted to go. Exactly. Reaching the ranges. She loved the highest place in the mountains because in the highest place mm. in the mountains, the air was super fresh and there wasn't a mosquito problem, too. In fact, that will come up later. <laughs> but in 1929, she finally returned to England on furlough. And when Paul saw his mom, he was shocked because she'd always been this like beauty, this just absolute beauty. But the ravishes of her father, his father's death and working in the mountain yeah. had aged her um, incredibly. But she really encouraged her children to seek missionary training. Mm-hmm. And so she went to the mission board to say, OK, I'm ready to go back. And the mission board said, <laughs> uh, we don't think so. Uh, you're, you know, you're in your 50s. Right. Maybe you need to stay, take care of your children. And so she really had to work hard to convince them to let her go back. So she goes back to India in the 1930s, and she continues to work in the hills. And then World War II breaks out. And she's unable to take another furlough until 1945, until the war is over. Wow. So in the meantime, Paul was in England, and he had thought he was going to be a um, civil engineer and build bridges because he had that part of his dad, too. Mm. But when working in a hospital, he was able to save the life of one little girl um, by giving her a blood trans um, blood transfusion. Blood transfusion. And he saw the life come to the girl through the blood. And it just Mm, made him have this um, desire to bring people to life. Mm. And so he did. He was, and he wasn't a great student. In fact, his mother and father were always on him about his grades in every letter. (laughs) And all of a sudden he goes to medical school, college, and he ends up first in his class. He gets all these. He found his calling. He found, (laughs) he gets all these awards and rewards and and, uh, graduates. Even while World War II is going on and she's in India, you know, uh, the Japanese are, are coming in. There's been invasions and, uh, you know, it's all chaotic. very chaotic. And yet her concern is not for herself, but it's for her children back in England because she hears about the blitz and everything. Hmm. During this, and then right after World War II, she, she goes on furlough and again, she's ready to go back. Right. And how, how old is she at this point? Oh, she's in her 60s. Okay. So she's she's yeah. like 68. Oh, wow. Late okay. 60s. Okay. So during this time, colonial England began to withdraw from India. This is right after World War II. And so there's, it's a tinderbox. It's on the verge mm. of civil war. So the missionary thing is saying, you're too old. We don't want you to go back. Well, yeah. So they say to her, <laughs> if you promise us that you'll, you'll, oh, she's 67, <laughs> that you'll just stay in Madras. If you'll just stay in Madras. And didn't they say for one year? For one year. Yeah. <laughs> for one year. And she agrees to that. Yes, I'll stay in Madras for one year and I'll, I'll do everything that's needed. So she stays and she teaches uh, studies. She trains people, everything. And at the same time, her son, Paul, uh, gets accepted to this hospital in Valore, so in India. India. So yeah. they're, they're, they're with each other. They're near each other. And he begins to have this curiosity for the lepers. And he begins to study the lepers. And he wants to help the lepers because they are like the lowest of the caste system. Yeah. And they're kicked out of everything. And he's got this heart for the lepers. So she were, she stays one year and they have a retirement party for her when she's 68. <laughs> and they give her a lamp. And she looks oh. at him and she goes, I can't use this where I'm going. I quit. And she goes on her own. Hot twist. Yeah. And and that's one thing I didn't mention. Early on, her father said, I'll let you go to um, India on one condition that you'll never ask for money. 
that you'll let mm. me be your provider mm. the entire time, that I will be the one who supports you. So she has support and right. she's never depended on the missionary support. Right. Neither she nor Paul. So she doesn't need the missionary financial mm. support because she's got this inheritance from her father. So she returns to the mountains of death without the missionary backing. Mm. And she goes to live with her favorite people, the Collies. But during this time, she's able to penetrate into the five different mountain ranges. Yes. And the only reason that she'll come down to Valor, one, to see Paul, her mm -hmm. son, mm -hmm. and the other is to see if she can talk people into going up into the mountains. Mm -hmm. And she's like this incredible persuasive force. They were just saying you couldn't say no to her. So one day when she's in her 80s, uh, the, the, the dolies, they drop her. They drop her once and she's Whoops. injured, but then they drop her a second time. Oh my gosh. And she suffers debilitating injuries. And so she has to go into the hospital. And so she's supposed to go in a wheelchair and she doesn't want the wheelchair. Uh, it's it's wow. too inconvenient to wait Tough. for someone to bring the wheelchair to her. Wow. So she gets a mat, like she sets like a sheet on the floor and she realizes she can propel herself along the floor and what go and pray for the people who are in the hospital, the other patients. <laughs> and so she makes herself her way to each room. And she's like this tiny little fragile thing. Unstoppable. And yep. she, exactly. She's <laughs> unstoppable. So she can never walk very well after this. So she gets herself two bamboo sticks that she uses as canes. <laughs> and she learned she can walk through the hills with these canes. So she relies on her little pony on the dolly and then on these canes. And she goes back up and she, for 20 well, until she's 94, right. she continues to minister to these people. She oversees the work, the accounts. She travels to all these different villages. And one of the interesting stories that's told about her is there's a meeting. And they're all waiting for her because she's going to come and share the gospel at this meeting. So there's like this little crowd. This is up in the mountain regions, but it's monsoon season. Mm. And so there's this one raging river. People holding her dolly, they don't want to take her across. They're like, no, that that's right, not right. even, that's raging, will be swept away. We're yeah. not doing it. So she, now remember, she's in her 80s with her two with her two canes. She gets off and starts going into the river with her canes and making her way across it. Well, the men feel so ashamed and oh, embarrassed yeah. letting this 80-something-year-old you know, <laughs> who all these works depend on do this, that they jump um, into the water, they save her, and they... And they, they get her to the meeting. And here oh she comes gosh. kind of triumphantly. And just um, hours within hours of that, another woman trying to cross the river was swept away. Wow. So it was not like a safe thing. It was very, very so dangerous. And so, I mean, she is just this amazing woman. And, and how neat that she was able, because of that determination, she was able to fulfill her and Jesse's original vision to reach, like you said, all those five mountain mm -hmm. areas yeah. I mean, and it's just, she would you know. give all the advice that she had learned from jesse for instance there was this missionary couple that uh, wanted to build a house and she's like this is the wrong place mm. you can't build it here uh your your house will be flooded you'll get mold problems do not build it here plus the mosquitoes are bad but would they listen to her no so all of that happened and so she showed him another spot i told you to build Yep. But she was a force to be reckoned with. Like, um, Paul Brand tells the story of, um, this isn't in the book. Most of my information comes from the book Granny Brand. Right. Again, she didn't like to be called Granny, which was, is kind of interesting. Yeah. Written by Dorothy Clark Wilson, I think. Yes, yes. Okay. Dorothy Clark Wilson. So uh, she also wrote a book on Paul Brand. Ah. But, and she also wrote a book, I think, on Ida Scudder, 
Which is interesting. Another one we should talk about. Yes, because Dr. Ida Scudder is a friend of Granny Brands. Love it. And, you know, what I forgot to bring into this is that after Jesse's death, she thought, this is it. I'm 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 done. I can't I can't do anymore. And that's when the poem by Amy Carmichael about mm. climbing higher in the mountain Mountaineer. first came to her and she decided, no, I've got to keep climbing. It's either climb or die. Mm. And that was kind of a motto of hers, climb or die. <laughs> and then again, when she was 68 and she was told by the mission board, she couldn't go back up to her mountains. That poem came back to her and the thought was climb or die. Wow. And she just thought, there's no reason to live if I'm not among the mountain people. If mm. I'm not, I know these people. I love these people. Mm. During the five years, I mean, when she's in her 80s, she eradicated guinea worm from the wow. mountain people. She did. I mean, she wow. she Amazing. helped teach them, again, the hygiene, and yeah. she Skills. worked um, yeah. to get rid of it. So one day she went down the vis- uh, mountains to visit her son. By this time, Paul Brand is visiting India because he's actually speaking in different places about leprosy. And he started started a ministry in Louisiana, kind mm. of a, a leper's colony, which he's the reason that uh, leprosy was eradicated in the United States too. From Wow. But that's, wow. So anyway, I mean, he's just like <laughs> Fun this, fact. Yes, he's this amazing man. But so anyway, she goes to visit him. And she's a little perturbed with Paul because mm. he and his wife, she feels like they live too luxuriously. Because they have electricity in their house. What? Yes. And this other time, too. It's so funny. The kids the kids would play games, board games, and that. And she thought those were terrible. She thought those were sin. Like, you, sh- you oh, should only, you know. Oh, my goodness. You're not being productive. Right. So, whatever. They, they kind of had mixed reactions when they found out their, their grandmother was visiting. Oh. Because she could be so. Sounds like CT stuff. Yeah. She could be so severe. Wow. Yeah. So severe. <laughs> and at the same time, once she got in their house, she was so fun. She could be so fun. So it was like kind of a mixed blessing. They weren't quite sure. Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? But when she's 94, she goes down the mountains to visit Paul. And she's she's completely planning on going right back after she visits. And she's 94 years old. But she has another fall. And after this fall, her speech becomes imperceptible and she's disoriented. And she died seven days later on December Mm. 18th, 1974. Wow. At age 94. 94. That 94. You know, what's interesting, too, though, is that she didn't go into the mission field till she was 30. Right. You right. know, and or yeah. in her 30s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's never too late. I mean, I think some totally. people think that everything's all set in sand, but it's not too late. And yep. another thing I noticed about her life was how many single women she worked with. Mm. Like her niece, Dr. Ruth Harris, came mm-hmm. back and was a single missionary. Um, Dr. Ida Scudder was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And how cool, too. Eventually, I'd like to talk about uh, Mildred Cable. Oh, yes. And there's another gal. She didn't let age stop her, even though other people were skeptical. You know, yes. they they realized God will qualify me for what he calls. You know, what I also I forgot to mention is she would train up what we call, and you know this, Bible women. Mm, yep. And she would teach these women the Bible because the women could get away with more. Oh, the the actual the Indian women themselves. The Indian women could be trained and they could get away with more than Smart. the men. So they would train these women and it would be these women that would go all over India and teach others the Bible. So that was something that she really uh, sought to do was to raise up women to to teach women the word. And I yes. say that because there's some men who think, oh, why would you even teach women the word? I've heard of men, even in the United States. Wow. Who say that women are not supposed to teach the word, not even to other women, but just tell them nice stories and examples wow. from their life. 
And I think, no, it's the word that's got the power and it's yes. the word that will not return void. Amen. And so she invested the word into these women mm-hmm. and these women invested the word. And that's always the most effective ministry, as we see with these missionaries, Absolutely. when you invest in the people and mm-hmm. then they go out. Exactly. Yeah. And that was part of the missionary board. The missionary board was a little upset with her because they felt mm. like she didn't raise up. She and Jesse didn't raise up people. Oh. They kept doing all the work. And so when when Jesse died, had she not carried it on, the work would have died. Mm. But she had to carry it on and raise up these men. And it was also Evelyn who raised up the men who became the pastors in these fellowships, she was also an incredible matchmaker. She loved to make uh, matchmake people, especially Christian men with Christian women because of that. So anyway, oh, that's that. that's pretty that. much the story of uh, Granny, <laughs> Granny Brand. So anyway, <laughs> this was Jasmine Allnett, Cheryl Broderson, thanking you for joining us yes. with a story of another woman you should know. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Women You Should Know with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter or Facebook. If you have a woman we should know about, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at WYSK at CCCM.com. Make sure you've subscribed to this podcast available now on any streaming service. Thank you again for listening to Women You Should Know with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut.